Okay, sorry, I couldn't help myself. Welcome! Greetings, programs! Hello and welcome to Women at Warp, a Roddenberry Star Trek podcast. Join us on our continuing mission to explore intersectional diversity in infinite combinations. My name is Kennedy, and thank you so much for tuning in. With me today are... Hello, I'm Aliza Pearl. Hi, I'm Sarah Goldie. And together we make up your next generation of women at warp. That's right, folks. You might have guessed hearing these new voices. We here at Women at Warp are expanding. Andy, Grace, Jara, and Sue reached out and invited us to join the crew as the next generation. So don't worry. They're not going anywhere, okay? Relax. It's all good. We're only going to shake up the status quo just a little bit. Going forward, all of the hosts here will be rotating, and you'll be hearing a lot more from us. So we're taking this episode to introduce ourselves and talk about our favorite women characters, just like the original series did back in episode one. Ladies, I am so excited. Me too. So excited. I am excited. I'm nervous, but I'm looking forward to just like hanging out with women and talking about Star Trek all the time. Yeah, it's pretty much a dreamy, dreamy place to be. Can't beat it with a stick, as my grandmother used to say. (laughs) (laughs) But before we get into our main topic, we have a little bit of housekeeping to do first. Our show is made possible by our patrons on Patreon. If you'd like to become a patron, you can do so for as little as $1 a month and get awesome rewards from thanks on social media up to silly watch-along commentaries. You could visit patreon.com slash women at warp for more info. You can also support us by leaving a rating or review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. This episode is brought to you by Text Expander but more from them later. I want to get into the meat and potatoes, or I guess the seitan and potatoes for those of you who aren't carnivorous. Hi, ladies. Hi. Hi, Kennedy. Hi. This is so much excite. Yeah. Kennedy, also, I just want to say you're killing it. Oh, well, yeah, you know, I've been doing this for a little bit. You know how it is. You know how it is. You were killing it the <laughs> other day. Um, I watched you on Day of Honor. Oh, thank you. That was precious. I loved every piece of it. Oh my god, so much Klingon. It was really, really fun. It was tremendous. And Sarah, I've read a little bit of your blog too. Girls, we are out here killing it. And it's tremendous that not only do we have a platform like Women at Warp where we can, just like you all were saying, to find like-minded individuals, you can geek out about the things that you enjoy like they do, but also we have this platform to discuss things that don't necessarily always get talked about. You know, Trek is a, a well-established, long-standing fandom. And in the the decades that encompasses it, a lot of things have happened. A lot of things have progressed socially, culturally. And to see how the show itself, which was so groundbreaking and so trend-setting, then be held accountable for the actual trends that are being set is a very meta thing. And I'm so glad that this show in particular tackles it in such a very cool way i don't know about you all i'm i'm curious to hear about about your experiences and your first impressions with women at warp i've been a guest on women at warp a couple of times and i love it because i learn something new every time and i think it doesn't matter how long you've been watching star trek every time you sit down to have a discussion about it with someone you discover something new about it you never realized before and so we can sit down we can talk about tasha yara we can talk about klingons and you find there's all this depth to these characters that you never fully appreciate until you hear someone else's point of view about it. Definitely. What about you, Eliza? Yeah, so I actually, I feel like I owe a debt of honor to Women at Warp because... Right? Yeah, because back, like, so when I first started getting into the fandom side of my own fandom, I didn't know anyone, any Trekkies. I was just a little actor improviser, started going to cons, dressing as Guinan, met people that way. Yes. And then I went to my first STLV and these ladies, women at warp invited me on stage to speak on a panel at my first STLV. And I was just like a baby, like in the Trekkie fandom world. And I felt like so seen, you know, and so validated. And I didn't even realize how important that was for me until 
you know, a few years later when I was like, wow, I'm now fully immersed in the Trekkie fandom. And I think I, I don't know if I would have felt as comfortable just being in this space if it wasn't for the, the amazingly warm welcome that the Women of Warp team gave me. That is so cool. For me to be able to be here now as a co-host with this team is just like overwhelmingly exciting. And I'm so honored and grateful and have always really, really loved this crew. And now I'm part of this crew? What? Hey, let's go. <laughs> it's like getting promoted to the Enterprise. You're like, what? Honestly, it feels like that. And, and the fact that we're calling us the next generation, it feels like perfect because I'm like, yeah, it feels like that. Oh, my God. Oh, my God. It feels like that. <laughs> it really does. So, Elisa, were you a Trek fan for you said you were pretty new to the fandom. Mm -hmm. Would you say it was within the past, you know, five years, 10 years? Was there some tenure there or are you like a brand new Trek baby, baby Trek, baby Trek. <laughs> well, so here's the funny thing. And Kennedy, we're from similar parts of the U.S. I'm from Newark, New Jersey. Okay. I know you're from Philly, right? Hey. Yeah. Okay. So I, I don't know about you, but I grew up in a like mostly black Caribbean Latino area in Newark, New Jersey. And I loved Star Trek growing up. I watched it with my dad. We would watch the original series. We watched some, like, uh, The Next Generation, some of, like, Voyager and DS9. And I have very fond memories of watching it as a kid. But outside of my house, I didn't really connect with anyone about it. It wasn't talked about. I didn't know what a convention was. I didn't know what cosplay was. I grew up in this part of the world, of, of the U.S., where nerddom wasn't really celebrated. And so I, it wasn't until I moved to the West Coast and then became an actor and then tapped into the outward side of my fandom that I realized that there's this whole world of Trekkies and cosplay and conventions and stuff. And so, so yeah, when I say that I was new to the fandom, that's what I mean. I was new to like the community of fans, gotcha. uh, not new to Trek, but new to the community of fans. So yeah, in that way, I was a baby Trekkie. Gotcha. Sarah, what about you? Are you, are you a, a veteran as well? Or you have similar exposure to the community as Eliza? So I started watching Star Trek in 1987 when Next Gen was on the air. And my first convention was actually back in, it would have been like 93 or 94. And in the 90s, Creation used to do tiny conventions all over the country. And so we had one in Portland with William Shatner just after they started or after they finished filming Generation. Wow. So I have vague memories of this because I would have been like 13, 14 years old. But I wasn't really involved in fandom. I didn't really know there was a fandom. I saw the Shatner documentary about STLV in probably 2013 or so. And I thought, oh, that's really cool. I think I'll wait and I'll go to the big 50th anniversary convention that was in 2016 because I thought the people that fly to Las Vegas every year for the Star Trek convention were insane. And so now I've been four years in a row. <laughs> I've made so many friends there. It's The Star Trek community is so friendly and so welcoming. Like you go your first year to see Captain Picard and Data and all these people you grew up with on TV, but you keep going because of the fans. Yeah. Yeah, that's, for sure. That's for sure. This is definitely a unique fandom in that because the, the the driving mission, for lack of a better term, of this series, of this franchise, is to, you know, highlight and focus on how immensely beneficial combinations of people can be, right? The more, I hate the term diverse, let's say that, because it has such negative connotations to it, like it almost makes me feel of a division, right? And I like to instead say that it's a more accurate representation of humanity, right? People across all walks of life saw themselves in Trek to some extent or another. Some groups, certainly not as much as others, right? Some groups, barely any at all. So that's a cool thing about Trek. It's almost like a self-editing document because now with new series being on the air, they have an opportunity to right some of those wrongs, you know? But I, for me, I, I grew up on Trek. Like, it's me, my mom, like, raised me on it. So I also watched The Next Generation when it came out and literally every series ever since. I also went to conventions coming up because it was my mom's jam. Like, her and all her friends 
would get dressed up. It was it, it, at the time it wasn't cosplay though, right? It was called mm. going in uniform yes. because that's how precise their shit was. Like everybody was pressed. Like I I remember in the mornings getting ready for those weekends. You know everybody would be in in the TV room getting into uniform, and people were buffing their boots so that it would, they would shine for the photos. Like that's how into it they were. I remember being a kid and haggling somebody for latinum. <laughs> Someone had bars of latinum as a, at a vendor table. And I was like, how much is your latinum? And he was like, $12 or something for a bar. And I said, $12? This is not a big piece of latinum. You're crazy. He's like, wait a minute. Where are you going? What do you mean? I said, sir, this is barely the size of my finger. I'm like 13. This is barely the size of my finger. It is unreasonable to charge these prices for a sliver of latinum, you have lost your mind, sir. Good day. <laughs> he was like, wait a minute. Come back. Give me $5 and it's yours. I said, sir, you have struck a bargain. <laughs> oh, my God. Baby Ferengi. Oh, so sweet. <laughs> I, I straight up, I just couldn't see myself spending. When I tell you it was the size of, like, my thumb, I'm not exaggerating. Like, how dare you try to charge somebody $15, $12, whatever. For this tiny behind piece of gold painted metal. Like, it's not even gold plus latinum. Come on, dog. Anyway, <laughs> grew up on that. But, like, you all never really was outward with it because when I tried to express that with my schoolmates, right, I got clowned for it mercilessly. Mm-hmm. I went to a private Catholic school as a, as a kid. And, you know, science fiction was not cool for those kids. I was, I was an outcast. I was one of few black children. In that entire school, so there was that. I was too weird for the black kids and, and too weird for the white kids. So I was just kind of like, well, I guess I'll go watch some Trek then. So to see now that people are so very enthusiastic about it again, it's like the whole community has been galvanized. It's been really something stupendous. Like, I, I too went to Mission New York. I went to Mission New York for the for the 50th. And that was like my first trek convention in a really really long time like i had seen certain stars and stuff at at like other events and other conventions but just being around that many people where i didn't have to explain you know what the costume was what a klingon is you know why i've got pips on my collar you know and i just think it's it's incredibly important for shows like women at warp to continue to take up those spaces because life imitates art and a lot of our voices aren't being heard not only in in the fandom itself, but, you know, historically, not so much in production as well. So I think it's great that we're here and, and having this platform as well. But I, I, too, owe Women at Warp a great deal of a debt of honor because um, we did a show, gosh, some years ago at this point, we talked about Klingon women, a surprise on brand. And enough people heard that episode outside of the, the listening base that I that I had already through my work with Black Tribbles. That my followship, followship, I don't know, how, how do you, the follower count, whatever you call that, followership, sure, you know, that expanded immensely, right? People traveled from other states to come see me host panels that I was hosting, you know what I mean? Like, so that is something that I, I will never, ever be able to, to quantify, like, because the gratitude is so immense, and I'm just, I'm so happy to be here in a very long-winded way to say it. <laughs> So yeah, this is great. What is, let's say, your favorite thing about Star Trek in general, before we get into our lists, because uh, ladies and gentlemen, boys and goals, we have uh, lists of our favorite female characters in Trek. I don't know about you two, but I have a list. I have 10 people I had to (laughs) narrow it down for. But before we get into those individuals, I'd like to throw this out to you two. Uh, we'll start with Sarah. What is one of your favorite things mm, wow. about Trek? And if you can think of one, one of your least favorite things about Trek. Hmm. Okay, so my favorite thing about Star Trek is Star Trek makes everybody feel seen. I'm half Japanese and I'm half white. And the only family I remember seeing on TV growing up that looked like mine was the O'Briens. Wow. 
Yeah. And it's something I didn't even realize until I was an adult. And it's like, oh, I wonder how I would have felt differently about myself Mm. if I didn't have the O'Briens on TV every week. Wow. And I also love how as an adult, I am realizing all these lessons I learned from Star Trek like that, that you just absorb without even thinking about when you're a kid. Yeah. For example, I realized that growing up, I probably learned from Jordy and Data how to be friends with the kids on the spectrum. Like you just hang out, you don't judge. You know, and just there are so many things you absorb when your media is representative that if you don't see it, you don't realize what you're missing. Say it's important for women because the kid who's watching Discovery right now, who's like 14, 15 years old, and they're going to grow up and be managing a team. If their team isn't half women like Discovery, they're going to realize something is wrong. Right. You know, whereas someone watching something else might not even realize, hey, it's not okay that there's only one woman in this room. Which is jarring. At this point, like, and not only as a Star Trek fan, because we're so accustomed to, you know, seeing representation, but whenever you go back and look at old programming, particularly like even as recent as the 90s, just to see how few women, let alone how many, how few people of color are involved, even in the background, you know what I mean? It's staggering. I like, I pity the fool who didn't grow up with Trek. (laughs) And I have been in those meetings or in those offices where they've hired one woman and they think, okay, we're diverse now. Yeah. You know, so it's it's so important for these shows to be on the air and setting an example. So that may have been a tangent from what is my favorite thing about Star Trek, but there are many favorite things about Star Trek. That is a, is a great start. <laughs> <laughs> that is a great start. Can you think of a, a least favorite thing about Trek? A least favorite thing? <sighs> That's the tough question because... There's so many things to love. A least favorite thing would have to be that Star Trek has a tendency to say, okay, racism doesn't exist anymore among humans, but it just kind of pushes its racism off onto other species. Mm -hmm. And so humans are still racist. They're just not racist against other humans. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And it doesn't always confront that. Mm -hmm. And when it does, it's from a very imperialistic point of view. Yeah. Elisa, what about you? Okay. My favorite thing about Star Trek is in line with what Sarah said. But just adding a layer to that, it's also the quality of the representation. Because growing up, you know, as a kid in, you know, 90s TV land, we all know there was a lot of tokenism happening. And the quality of the representation of like the one black girl or the one black boy or the one Asian kid on a show It was not very good because we wouldn't really get to know those characters as much. They would always be in service to the white main character's storyline or growth or learning or redemption. And so that was harmful in its own way of seeing like the one black kid just be a tool in the white person's narrative. That affects you on a very deep level as a kid. And that kind of sets you up to be that in other people's lives as well. So. Star Trek, on the other hand, did not lean on that, did not. And I mean, I think the exception would probably, and this is actually, this ties into my least favorite thing about Star Trek. The exception would be the original series, which for its time was progressive. But now we know, like, oh, God, they underused Sulu and Uhura. And there was so much more they could have done with those characters, but also bringing in other characters of color and exploring you know, the world through their eyes and their own narratives and letting them grow and learn just like the others. So my my favorite and least favorite things about Star Trek are basically different sides of the same coin. It's like the quality of representation. Fair. And the and the misuse of some of that mm-hmm. quality when or the or the missed opportunities. Yeah. To apply that same level of quality all the way across the board. Yeah. Yeah. And then and then we see it too like in TNG, I always forget the name of the episode, but the one that deals with the genderless species oh you mean where Riker just had to put his dick in something like metaphorically (laughs) Riker having to save like white savior his way through this (laughs) this species he said hey girl (laughs) I like your haircut (laughs) (laughs) oh these these is just my pips (laughs) you know (laughs) yeah I'm a I'm a starship commander (laughs) yeah go fleet (laughs) (laughs) you know what I'm saying class of 28 so i'm saying though like what you doing later though <laughs> wow your skin's so soft so hey hey you what's your pronouns <laughs> yeah Riker was like hey i'm trying to talk to whomever i want to talk to you which is great in the sense that 
you know, here's this cisgendered heterosexual white man being interested in whatever, right? Setting an example for other cisgendered heterosexual white men to be like, hey, maybe it's not, you know, terrible to to think outside of the box in this way. But it's also like, hey, here's this cisgendered heterosexual white male, like literally mm-hmm. trying to insert himself in a place he does not belong. So I hear you with the the two-sided coin thing there. And that whole, I mean, I'm sure we we will and can do a whole episode about that, (laughs) that episode alone. But yeah, the other, another angle of that, that whole episode is that, wow, cool, we're seeing representation of like a genderless society and people who are non-binary, but they're oppressing someone (laughs) who is wanting to be binary. Like, that sucks. It sucks that, like... Mm-hmm. You know, for any NBs watching the show, they're like, oh, snap, a genderless society. Cool, cool, cool. Oh, they're shitheads. Damn it. Like, that. that's what I'm saying about the quality right. of representation is so important. And and that doesn't mean that we always need marginalized characters to be in this positive light. Because I don't want that either. I want to see people who are complex and interesting. I want right. more Burnhams. I want someone who's, like, going to really fudge things up <laughs> in the pilot episode mm-hmm. and then have to redeem herself over and over like i think that's really good and interesting and complex but we also you know we also do need to make sure like wow if we're never seeing native characters and then the one episode that deals with native issues is making them out to be like shitty shitheads then that's not good either and that reminds me of code of honor too like because that's another (laughs) it's like this is not good (laughs) representation oh that's the the black people planet (laughs) what in the set you know, I must Kennedy, have. What did you call it? You called it like bad. You called it bad Wakanda or like whack Wakanda or something. <laughs> that was Jamala Henderson, who was a guest on an earlier show, and she called it the worst Wakandans. Yes, yes, the worst Wakandans. The worst Wakandans. <laughs> Wakanda. It was. I don't remember watching that episode on the air. I think. <laughs> My parents, like, specifically <laughs> hid that one from me, maybe? I don't know. I didn't watch it until I was, until, like, a year or so ago. I said, how did this, who said this was okay? How did this make, and on the one hand, I was like, okay, Tasha Yar, let's go. But then I was like, wait, what are they doing? Yeah. This is, no. <laughs> oh. So I would say my least favorite thing about Star Trek was that episode. <laughs> I guess I would say that my my most positive, my favorite thing is is what you all were saying, right? Seeing yourself represented in a way that cemented your place in the future. Because that, I think, is the underlying appeal to science fiction from people in marginalized communities and from, you know, ethnic groups and, and orientational groups that don't see themselves regularly, right? If you are coming from a background of people who have always systemically been in in this country or or others, you know, oppressed economically, religiously, whatever the case may be, envisioning a future for yourself is already going to be difficult because your day-to-day is so, you know, laden with with heavy, heavy stuff that when you go to turn on the TV, when you go to watch a movie, when you go to read a book in, in an attempt to step off of that heaviness and entertain yourself for just a minute and you still don't see yourself in in ways that give you hope and if you do see yourself like you're saying it's it's the quality of the representation is so terrible that it's like well, well what am i doing here i feel like people's potentials are hindered when they don't see themselves in that representation and i i remember distinctly a, a moment when i saw myself on that show well i wouldn't say on that show but in that in that in this universe, in this franchise, in this in this series of series, is the series of. <laughs> but before I get into that, because that person actually stems into my favorite female characters here, I, I just want to let you all know that Text Expander boosts your business productivity by allowing your team to communicate smarter, faster, and more consistently across all our channels. The app is built with collaboration in mind, so you. Don't have to reinvent common email or message replies every time you need to send them. Just store them in Text Expander as snippets. Text Expander for Teams makes it easy to share these snippets across your entire organization. Plus, you can use your snippets anywhere you like Slack, Trello, Google Docs, email, web browsers, 
and it works across devices. Text Expander is available on Mac, Windows, Chrome, and iOS. Listeners to the show get 20% off of their first year. Visit TextExpander.com slash podcast to learn more and select Women at Warp from the drop-down menu when signing up so they know that <laughs> we sent you. That's right. Get in there. Get your, get your text expanded in all the ways that you possibly could. Good stuff. So, I hope you all came up prepared with your list. Yeah, mine is just two characters who, I mean, because I love so many of the characters. I'm just going to talk about two today because right. they have impacted me the most. They're both from TNG, because obviously, like, Uhura is her own special list of impact and favoriteness, so I'm not even really including her in this conversation. But I am including Guinan. Of course. Yes, Guinan has a special place in my heart. Several years ago, I started doing a rewatch of all Star Trek chronologically, and when I got to TNG and I got to the Guinan episodes... I was like, oh, yeah. Oh, wow. This character was amazing. Why wasn't there more of her? And as I continued on watching TNG, rewatching TNG, I was super inspired by her. And I started writing things about her and having ideas. And she, like, Guinan, the character of Guinan, as an adult, just, like, unlocked my creativity in a special way that is very close to my heart. Guinan specifically is one of my favorite characters because she is this woman who has lived a long time, and is now bartending on a starship. So you know, like, if you're 500 years old and you've decided to now bartend on a starship, you've done everything else. You have lived a life. And you're like, yeah, I'm just going to sit behind this bar and talk to people. That is so cool. And so Guinan has always inspired me in terms of, like, her, you know, her clear wisdom and her steadiness and her her beautiful presence, but also in, like, all the stories that could be told about her and just all the mystery behind, like, where she's been before. So, yeah, so Guinan is one of my favorites. And then the other TNG lady who, who's, like, top of my list is Loxana Troy. Hey! I adore Loxana because she just gives no fucks. None. <laughs> I I mean as a No tribbles. No, none. She gives no tribbles. It's <laughs> <laughs> just like and as a young girl even, not having the lived experience of being an older woman who you know what I mean? Like I still related to her because I was like, Oh, that's so cool that she's like this kind of old lady who's just like super secure in her body and her sexuality and you kind of always love to see Deanna roll her eyes when her mom is around. Like, it's just a fun character and a fun interaction on that show. And I also appreciated that we had a, a mother-daughter relationship on this show that was was interesting and was different and was, yeah, like, they didn't get along. And it's not something new. We've seen relationships like that on TV and film between mothers and daughters, especially But there was just, I don't know, it just felt, it was cool that they were both very competent in who they are and what they do. They're both super strong women, but in very different and opposite ways. And, and maybe because like my mom and I are very different, but we're very, both very strong women in kind of opposite ways. Maybe that's why I related to it. Not saying that my mom is a Luwaxana at all. She's not. (laughs) But, but yeah, I appreciated like that type of mother daughter relationship getting so much screen time in TNG. Cool. My favorite thing about Loaxana is how she was so convinced of herself. Like you mm-hmm. literally could not tell <laughs> Mother Troy nothing about Mother Troy. Like yeah. she just knew. She was utterly and thoroughly convinced, not conceited. Oh yes. <laughs> about her greatness. Yes. I'm a daughter of the house. Like, come on. <laughs> I love it. I love when women flex uh-huh. their power because we and 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 power, you know, can be defined in many ways, right? Some of right. it's sexual, some of it's physical strength, some of it's mental strength. But no matter what the, the strength is in, mm-hmm. I love seeing women flex on it. And I love watching men, particularly powerful men, be a little derunged by it. So the fact that she was constantly putting Jean-Luc in his place, mm-hmm. just, just serving him up just giant slabs of humble pie here you go boo bam you miss me i know you did i can tell i can read your thoughts you know i can hear you right i can see i see you it's okay i love me too it's okay that you love me 
that's fine. You don't have to be like this, Jean Luc. I'm just saying we <laughs> could we could hang out. <laughs> like we could go hang out somewhere. We could talk. We could we can go riding, right? <laughs> Let's take a long walk around right. the park. That was her. She was Jill Scotting all over, all, all over him, over the place. Oh my goodness, Sarah. What about you? Um, I've got a a couple on my list here. I've got four. Okay. So first is Molly O'Brien. Little Molly. Because I always felt like like she was me, except she got to live on a spaceship and a space station, which is really cool. Aww. Second on my list is Moogie. <laughs> Moogie! You got to feel for Moogie. She is like living in this patriarchal dumpster fire mm-hmm. and she's all on her own there's no movement she's a part of and she's like thriving yeah i'm just gonna do my thing moogie dresses only for herself and not for the male gaze literally so she comes up with these fabulous velour dresses with like the fringe that came from her living room lamp across the front mm-hmm. because that is what makes moogie happy mm-hmm. and she doesn't put up with crap from cork nope yeah <laughs> None at all. Moogie. Oh, my God. Don't get me started, because we can go on. Moogie can have her own show. Yes, we need a Moogie show, because she's fantastic. Agreed. Next on my list is Philippa Giorgio. Specifically, Emperor Philippa Giorgio. I was about to say, I kind of like the Emperor more than I like the Captain. Am I wrong for that? Well, we've only (laughs) seen more from the Emperor, but I, I agree. I agree. Like, yeah. The Emperor is just incredible. I definitely appreciate Captain Giorgio tremendously, most specifically because in Discovery, the very second scene of Discovery is where they pass the Bechdel test for the series because it's Giorgio and Burnham talking and Giorgio telling Burnham, hey, it's time for you to be a captain. When are we going to get this done? Yeah. You know, and that ends up being a theme you see throughout all of Discovery is women lifting up other women throughout the whole show. So I love that about Captain Giorgio, but Emperor Giorgio is... Just so wonderfully complex. I love her relationship with Michael Burnham. How that's not her Michael, but she still loves her because that's all she has left of her Michael. Yeah. Yeah. Complex. And then I also love the scene where she's standing next to Tyler holding the baby and she's making faces at the baby until Tyler starts to turn her away. And she's like, nope, I wasn't doing anything. (laughs) And it's just, it's wonderful to see an Asian woman in a command role on screen. Yes. 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 In principle. And it's great to see... Michelle Yeoh yep. have a chance to show range. Because we all know she can kick ass, right? She's oh, yeah. done that historically in cinema, in media in general. So we know this. We also know that Auntie is an auntie at this point and doesn't need to be kicking everybody's ass all the time. Mm-hmm. So the fact that she's had an opportunity as an actor to show her range as it has developed and been culminated over the course of her career is really, really important and impactful. So... I appreciate the F out of it. Oh my gosh. Sarah, I can go on for days. Yeah. But talk about a woman flexing on screen when she's uh, dealing with Leland. And she's like, oh no, you are not in charge of me. I don't care what your rank is. Right. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. She's wonderful. But the top of my list, and has been for many years, is Jadzia Dax. Oh, Jadzia. And this is one of those, another one of those lessons I think that I picked up subconsciously as a kid, is that Jadzia because she's a joint trill, she completely ignores gender roles. And she just does the things that interest her and that make her happy. So you see her throughout the series. She's sparring with the Klingons or she is playing Tongo with the Ferengi. She's like the only woman in the room. And I mean, part of that's, you know, not the greatest writing at that time because it was the 90s. But I love that I grew up seeing her doing those things on TV. So I wouldn't be afraid to do those things myself in real life. Mm-hmm. Yep. Representation matters. Oh, yeah. Yep. Very cool stuff. Oh, my goodness. So we might have a couple double downs on my list. (laughs) By that, I mean repeats. I didn't have mine in any particular order because I feel like that is impossible. (laughs) We have a multitude of, of great characters that Star Trek has put in front of us, you know, femme and female presenting and otherwise. Guinan is definitely on my list because... Guinan, mm-hmm. you know, she's the only one outside of Cisco that gave Q issues. I wonder if Q just can't handle dealing with black. <laughs> oh my God. That's probably what it is. Because every time he's come toe to toe with somebody who is part of the cosmic African diaspora, as I call it, <laughs> yes. 
he always gets either punched in his mouth or mm-hmm. <laughs> threatened to get punched in his mouth. So I feel like <laughs> if there's any consistent, <laughs> it's like, please don't come for black aunties because you're going to get the, the Ritz put on her. And, and Whoopi Goldberg's little Ritz thing on cue is, is still gold to this day. Watching John Delancey recoil from that in horror is just, it's yeah. so viscerally satisfying. <laughs> <laughs> I can't put words on it. So definitely Guinan. I wanted to add the Borg Queen just because of the Ooh. impact. Mm-hmm. Right? How how formidable of an opponent is the Borg? And then to see that it's a queen that runs things. And so beautifully portrayed by Alice Creech that it's just like, how, how could I not put her on my list? I also need to include Uhura because of the obvious reasons. Mm-hmm. Her being a communications officer. Her being a communications bridge officer i feel like is is as impactful of her being you know visually seen in the show itself mm-hmm. back though like when you think about the logistics of starship communications back in the original series like homegirl literally had an earpiece like the old operators did that's how terrible it was <laughs> the universal translator worked sometimes but she was literally translating across several frequencies in real time, in that tiny behind skirt, and still look fabulous? Like, come on. Come on. Come on, come on, come on, come on. I'll never forget the episode where, like, something happened on the bridge, and there was an explosion under her console, and she literally had to go under there, roll her sleeves up, and repair some of the wiring. Mm. So incredible to see. Not only then, but but now. Like, she wasn't just a skirt on the bridge. Like, she was an actual officer, and I think that's tremendous. Oh, yes. Um, I love, 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 love Kalar. I am all about seeing tall women posture against men i'm about seeing women posture against men anyhow just because it's long time coming and usually justifiable (laughs) but particularly when the sight lines are the same you know so many men feel emboldened to say whatever they want to say and behave however they want to behave because of their physical imposing nature and when it comes to dealing with women or femme presenting people and it's like you're not going to sit here and tell me you're going to run off at the mouth when Kalar's looking at you, one, because she's gorgeous, two, because she will beat your ass. So I really need you to stop and think about what it is you're about to say. And I really wish that the creative forces would have allowed that relationship to develop between her and Worf. Mm. Not that I dislike Worf and Jadzia, because I, I do have a special place in my in my heart for that pairing. But Kalar and Worf would have been so immensely impactful to Worf's development as a character as well that only would have ultimately impacted the empire too mm-hmm. like uh, missed opportunities i want to add sorella since we're talking about klingons i lost my mind when i saw sorella in that episode <laughs> where Worf and jadzia were getting married lost my mind when in, in the episode where sarah and i spoke with mary chifo about Grilka and her influence mm-hmm. on Mary's development as Laurel. I am like, yeah, yeah, sure, sure. Grilka was incredibly amazing. And, you know, you can certainly go back and listen to that episode if you ever wanted to cross-reference. But Cirilla, for me, was it for me. Because Martok practically genuflected when she got off of that ship. And to see Martok bend the knee mm. and, and watching Worf and Cisco react to him bending the knee was so impactful for me. I was like, this woman runs everything. I aspire. I will totally get down with some grizzled old war hero if he does what he's told in the house <laughs> and respects me and adores me the way Martok respects and adores her. It was incredible to me. Yeah, I think probably the Federation and the Klingon Empire were very lucky that Loxana Troy and Sorella never teamed forces. <gasps> Ooh, Whoa. could you imagine? Oh, wow. <laughs> like, nothing could stand in their way oh, of anything. my gosh. Loxana Troy, I, 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 oh my gosh, Sorella, <laughs> and literally every single Cardassian scientist, because they were all women, right? <laughs> every single Cardassian scientist and those two Revolution. Instant revolution. Instant uprising. Okay, I'm going to need someone to write this fanfic for my fanzine. Yes. Yeah. It needs to happen. By the way, I have a fanzine. It's called Star Trek Quarterly. Please feel free to write articles and fanfic and send in art and any of that. I'll 
talk more information about that later. Yeah, we will, because now my interest is peaked. Okay, (laughs) I want to get through this list here, guys. Oh my gosh, I'm sorry. So I talked about Sorella. I I got a note, and this one is somebody who I did not like initially. This person had to grow on me as a character, and that is Seven of Nine. Hmm. Mm -hmm. When Seven of Nine first got introduced to Voyager, I said, what in Barbie hell is this? (laughs) Who asked for a Borg Barbie? Did you ask for a Borg Barbie? Because I didn't ask for a Borg Barbie. Why is she in here? Why is she so blonde? Why is she so fit? Like, I just had all the problems. You know what I mean? Yeah. And it wasn't until I went back and rewatched, like, like you, Elisa, all of the series is chronologically, that I had a new appreciation for Seven. Mm-hmm. Seven is the most efficient thing to ever come in contact with Starfleet. Point blank, period. To the point where even the Vulcan on the ship was like, hey, you know, you could kind of relax. <laughs> <laughs> You could chill out for a minute, you know? (laughs) Seeing the complexity of the relationship between Seven and Janeway Mm -hmm. was, I think, important because so many depictions of women on screen together, whether they are, you know, superior and subordinate or or peers, lacks the the depth, right? Lacks the, the nuances of what that type of relationship can entail. And then you've got Seven and... Janeway giving us all of that intergenerational stuff, you know, the whole schmear. Mm-hmm. And now seeing her in Picard, mm-hmm. I lost my mind seeing her in Picard. I felt so very proud. I felt proud of Seven that mm-hmm. she not only made it, right, that, but that she also was still very Seven, even though she managed to, to regain her humanity mm-hmm. to, to, the, to the extent that she was. Not to spoil it for anybody who hasn't watched Picard, but holy shit, well, Homegirl plugged into the cube. Yeah. I'm sure my neighbors thought I was dying (laughs) (laughs) because I lost my mind. I was like, okay, Seven. Okay. You better upgrade. I was like, is Seven about to get a cube? I said, bitch, is Seven about to get a cube? I said, okay, Seven, let's go. Okay, Seven, let's go. Lost you know, my mind. What's so awesome about that moment and just, yeah, like 709 in Picard in general is that once yeah. again, we're seeing another character who's like basically mixed race, mixed heritage. Mm-hmm. And she, it just like her being able to do that and come out on the other side still as her shows that she's mastered those two sides of herself. And she now yeah. like, it's now her superpower. It's not her weakness. It's not this thing that's like, Oh, is Seven going to go back to the Borg? Oh, no. Are her mm-hmm. nanobots going to take over? And Like, it's not that anymore. It's like she's overcome that urge and now has power over it. That was like a really, really cool moment. Yes. Speaking of nanobots, speaking <laughs> of our own personal human Borg hack, I would be remiss and we'll probably edit this part out. I don't care. I'm going to let it rip. I would be m- remiss if I did not mention... Admiral Catherine motherfucking Janeway, mm. because that's her full name. Mm-hmm. Okay, mm-hmm. you have to say the full thing, otherwise you could be talking about literally anybody. <laughs> Admiral Catherine motherfucking Janeway, because homegirl not only scienced her way back from the edge of the galaxy, she played by as many rules as humanly possible, folded in a, a half a crew of rebels who did not fuck with her, okay, and hacked the Borg, stole a drone got pretty much everybody home in one piece and it was so got promoted past picard okay people Mm -hmm. like to forget that she got promoted past picard because in nemesis he had to check in with admiral janeway so let's be real for two shakes of a lamb's tail once she got back she was so dissatisfied by her production right by the fact that she lost a few people along the way but primarily she was so dissatisfied that her best friend was in the cognitive diminutive state that he was Janeway went back the f*** in time (laughs) to get her best friend back in one piece y'all can't tell me shit about Catherine motherfucking Janeway you cannot I'm not trying to hear it and another one that you're not going to tell me anything about because people like to talk about Voyager in a way that is Mm -hmm. I think unfair Uh to what Janeway actually had to go up against you know, we don't, they don't think they, they think about the fact that Kirk would never have survived 
the Delta Quadrant. Mm. Picard could not have diplomatized his way out of the Alpha Quadrant. Cisco would have been like, look, I don't know who these people are, but I'm going home. <laughs> and he would have like left the caretaker to his own devices. So none of those dudes could have done what Janeway did. Certainly not in the time frame that she did it and not to the degree. So put mm. some respect on her name. Love it. Love since we're putting it. respect on people's names, let's include <laughs> specialist Michael motherfucker. Burner, yes. okay? Yes. Let's talk about Homegirl and how she did not deserve to get the book thrown at her the way that she did. Okay, yes, she defied a direct order. That is unexcusable. But she didn't deserve all this, okay? <laughs> she did not deserve all this. They have totally made her the scapegoat. Oh my god, the first mm. mutineer. You're not the Michael Burnham. Oh, Michael Burnham. Like, okay, but was I wrong? Mm. Was I wrong? Was I wrong in my in my suggestion on how we deal with the Klingons? Was I wrong? Because it looks like we got into a war that I tried to avoid, but y'all didn't want to listen to black women. Again. Still. So now we in this war. I'm in this brig. So what's up? What do you guys need from me? What do you need from me? Oh, you need me to be exceptional in every single way possible? Got it. Because I'm specialist Michael Mother Burnham. Commander now. She's commander again. Oh, that's right. That's right. Commander specialist, <laughs> Michael Muck Burnham. How can anybody write any female character in science fiction and not see this bar that has been set? Yeah. Yeah. Sonequa Martin-Green's bar has been set so high that it's not even in a category that people can compare it to. Like, the, don't, don't sit here and tell me that... Michael Burnham isn't single-handedly the most influential person in Star Trek at this point. That we know of. Right? Because you can you can you can put your laurels on on Kirk if you want to. You could put your laurels on Archer if you want to for being instrumental in, you know, founding the, the Federation. And, and if you, you know, want to go that route. But Michael's conviction to her integrity, her sense of truth, is the the star of that show and it's the star of this galaxy because anybody that managed to rattle spock to the point (laughs) that she did is an immensely tremendous person so i gotta throw michael burnham on that list i feel like when she stopped them from blowing up chronos that she saved the federation's soul Mm. yes yeah they might have won that war by doing it but they would have lost yes now i have some issues with michael but that's only because I, I'm, you know, coming from a perspective as not seeing myself represented in media the way we should be, right? Mm. There are a lot of tropes with Michael. She's the quintessential strong black woman character who's like, whatever it is you need me to do, put me in, coach. I got it. And I, I'm just like, yes, that's great to see. But there are elements of that that can be damaging to people because it establishes this false hope that you know we're always going to come in and save the day and i I just i'm a little worried about where the character will go with all of this potential behind her for those reasons because you see that trope right in my next character raffi right who i i love for different reasons but raffi was the go-to when picard was like i don't know who i'm gonna go to he didn't go to troy first he didn't go Mm -hmm. to Riker first he went to raffi he went to that black woman yeah picard always goes to black women he goes to guinan Mm-hmm. He went to Alfred Woodard, he went to Lily, and now he goes to Raffi. So there's a strength there that is obviously recognized in the fandom, but I just, I'm concerned that it'll get, you know, misused. But, you know, I digress. Raffi's character was so impactful to me because of her flaws, mm-hmm. right? We finally talk about struggling with addiction, substance abuse. We talk about parental roles, Right? And how a woman's career path can impact the relationship with her child. And then seeing Raffi and Seven at the end of Picard like magically be a thing, I was like, Welp, <laughs> this is my new favorite space couple. I didn't know I needed this. But, you know, apparently I needed it. And that need has been met. But to round this off, because I know I'm getting terribly long-winded and I, and I wanted to make sure I mentioned this character... Like you two, and like those of you listening at home at Space and at Sea, I, my, my experience with Trek has been at an early age. But it wasn't until 
I saw, and I was probably about 10 or 11 when I saw this for the first time, I saw Star Trek IV The Voyage Home in the first, I don't know, 10 minutes of that film. Of that film. <gasps> I know what you're talking about. The captain yes. of the USS Saratoga, yes. Madge Sinclair. Yes. I had been watching Star Trek for a long time, but it wasn't until I saw her mm. as a captain handling that crisis situation that I fell in love. Mm -hmm. Then I finally saw myself. I said, oh my God, who is this woman? Will we get a series? Will we get mm -hmm. something? Like I never, we never, yeah. at that point we didn't see women in captain's roles anyway, but we definitely didn't see a black woman. And I was just like, this is so freaking cool. Yeah. She never had a name. And Madge Sinclair later on came back to portray Silva, Captain Silva LaForge in an episode mm. of Next Generation, which was a nice little, you know, nod. I didn't realize that was the same actress. Mm. Yeah, Madge Sinclair was the greatest. Seeing her in that role in that film, even for, you know, the 30 seconds of screen time that she had, showed me that it was possible to obtain a position of power in Starfleet. If and when we get there. Once again, I, I'm going to call out the quality of representation. And to, and also, I, I am a Black woman who is descended from African Americans, Caribbean Black people, and Latin Black people. And so seeing her with that accent, being a Caribbean-ass starship captain... Oh my God, that was incredible. Yeah. And it was, yeah, it was life. I totally agree. It really, really galvanized Star Trek for me to see that character, even so briefly. Yeah, I agree. Sarah, I'm still stuck on the O'Briens. Mm, yeah. <laughs> and what you said <laughs> that about That blew them. my mind. Yeah. That, that was so awesome, Sarah. It kind of blew mine too when I thought about it for the first time. Yeah. But yeah. And also that they were just an ordinary family on Star Trek. Yep. Yeah. You know, they had their squabbles and yeah, I just hate to think how, how I would feel about myself without them. And to, and to, to recognize that that impact was there, even though you weren't cognizant of it at the time, is always staggering too. Mm -hmm. You know, when talking to people who didn't have Trek in their lives coming up, hearing them, you know, not see themselves, I'm just like, well, you guys didn't watch Star Trek? Like, I... What do you mean? <laughs> like, I'm everywhere in that. I might not always be in a starring role. I might not always have lines. I might be, you know, a red shirt, so to speak, but I'm there. I pity fool who don't watch Star Trek because so much of, of, of my identity was enabled because I, I saw myself in that way. Man, the O'Briens. Mm. I got mixed feelings about Miles, mm -hmm. but their love for each other was always so tangible that it was just like Molly was my little sister. You know what I mean? <laughs> Seeing Molly grow up on the show using different actors, but the, them intentionally finding, you know, little girls who were half Asian, and half white was just like, that's how you do it. That's how you do it. Yeah. Otherwise don't do it at all. Right. If you don't, if you're not going to sit there and devote the, the proper attention and focus to ensuring that your experience is intersectional, then you need to hire people to, to do that for yourself. But you also need to take a step back and look inwardly and realize, you know, and try to figure out at the very least why things are like this. Yeah. Also, props to TNG because they had two different female Japanese characters on their show who weren't related or anything. There was also Nurse Ogawa, mm -hmm. who had nothing to do with each other. Two different Japanese characters, that also kind of blows my mind. Mm. Yeah, that's true. When it's no longer about, you know, having a quota filled, like we were saying, but you have an opportunity to see the, the, the richness of a, of a heritage group. Uh, people, people of an ethnic, ethnic group might share some common roots in, in their heritage and their cultural expressions, but people don't always experience it the same way and they don't reflect it in the same way. So it's great to see infinite intersectionality and infinite combinations. Like there's no other way to put it. Like it's, it's, it is what it is. Right. And it, it is immensely beneficial once it's done well, mm. clearly. Otherwise we, we fabulous girls would be here to talk about this fabulous stuff on this fabulous platform. Yeah. Should we talk about our new tagline? Yes. Go for it. Okay. The new tagline is intersectional diversity and infinite combinations. 
And I did want to make sure and talk about the term intersectional a little bit in the show because a lot of people may not be familiar with it. It was coined by Black feminist scholar Kimberly Crenshaw in 1989. She wrote a paper about the intersection of race and sex, and it's a fascinating paper. It's available on the internet. You can go and read it. The full title is Demarginalizing the Intersection of Race and Sex, a Black Feminist Critique of Anti-Discrimination Doctrine, Feminist Theory, and Anti-Racist Politics. And we'll make sure a link is available to that. And there's this amazing story she tells in it, and it's absolutely infuriating, about how General Motors laid off all the Black women in their company in the 70s. And so they filed a class action suit. And the court came back and said, well, Women are a protected class, but they didn't fire the white women, so they're not discriminating there. And black is a protected class, but all the black men are still there, so they're not discriminating against black people. So sorry, black women, you're just out of luck. Right. And so her paper really examines the intersections of different things like race, class, sex, gender, all these things. And it's so important to think about this when you're talking about diversity or when you're talking specifically about feminism. Because you have intersectional feminism and you have white feminism. And white feminism takes the idea of a woman who is white, straight, cis, middle class, able-bodied, and non-sex working and says, this is the default idea of what it is to be a woman and that all the rest of us are just deviations from this norm. And what that does is, is it kind of sets up a hierarchy where this default woman is at the top and all the rest of us kind of like get the scraps. And what intersectional feminism does is that we are all women. We are all equal. We are different from each other, but no one is any higher than the other in this hierarchy. This hierarchy doesn't exist. And it expands beyond feminism into diversity. So it's so important to talk about intersectional diversity when you talk about Star Trek, because Star Trek is more than tokenism. Star Trek is inclusive, and it's inclusive of all of us, and it's inclusive of all of us that live at di different intersections of marginalizations. I agree. Yeah, well said. Thank you. Look at you holding court. <laughs> Learning the children about some things. I can't make jokes, but I can remember facts. Hey, these are there's a role for all of us mm -hmm. on the USSWAW. <laughs> Let's talk about where people can find us on the internet. Sarah, you were just on your soapbox. I imagine you still have one toe on it. Let, let, let's stay there for a minute. Tell us about where we can find you on the webs. Okay, so on Twitter, you can find me at, at Sarah Miyoko, S-A-R-A-H, M as in Mary, I-Y-O-K-O. On Facebook, you can find me at my fanzine, Star Trek Quarterly. Like the name, we publish once a quarter. And I'm always accepting submissions of articles, art, fanfic, anything that shows your love of Star Trek. You can also find Star Trek Quarterly on Twitter at, at Star Trek Q-T-R-L-Y. Cool. Cool, cool, cool. Eliza, what about you? All right. I am Eliza Pearl, and you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Eliza Pearl. So A-L-I-Z-A Pearl. And I'm uh, sort of on Facebook, kind of not, but you can find my Facebook page, Eliza Pearl. <laughs> I also do a lot of Star Trek improv and RPG stuff. So you can find one of my shows, The Improvised Generation, on Twitter and Instagram at Improvised Gen. That's G-E-N. And then I have an all Klingon live stream tabletop campaign called Blood of the Void. And that's at Blood Void RPG on Twitter and Instagram. Check us out. We actually play ev the last Monday of every month, 6.30 p.m., Pacific time at twitch.tv slash Q times. That is so cool. But you can find more of my work at Black Tribbles. We are a long-standing media group talking about nerd culture through the lens of the Black perspective. You can find us at blacktribbles.com and across all social medias at Black Tribbles. If you'd like to find out more about me, if you dare... You can follow me on Instagram at that Mikey Chick. That's M-I-K-E-Y-C-H-I-C-K. That Mikey Chick. You can find me on Instagram. You can find me on Twitter at that handle as well. Just a disclaimer, if you follow me on Instagram, I do post a lot of angry black woman stuff, so I'll block you if you get in the comments. <laughs> if you get wild in the comments, just so you know. Ladies, this has been incredible. 
To learn more about our show or to contact us, visit womenatwarp.com or find us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram, all at Women at Warp. You can also email us at crew at womenatwarp.com. And for more from the Roddenberry Podcast Network, visit podcasts.roddenberry.com. Eliza, Sarah, it's been wonderful. It's been grand. It's been grand. It's been swell. And I can't wait to do more. I can't wait to boldly go with you ladies. Uh, Same here. Really excited, y'all. Next time. Good stuff. Good night, folks. Have a good day. Be good to each other. Live long and prosper.